Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about alcohol. Glug, glug? Alcohol. <laughs> so, uh, it is incredibly common throughout a Dungeons and Dragons adventure for alcohol to really just come up in a lot of potential ways. So I thought it would be valuable to go through the books to see what is actually in there about alcohol and to also talk about how to potentially implement alcohol use within your own games. Uh, Actually, uh, before I do get into any of that, do you want to chime in? Uh, So Remy, is it okay to mix beer and wine and like vodka together? I'm I'm just asking for Caden. (laughs) (laughs) Not even going to say asking for a friend, you're going to name drop him. Uh, Yeah, Caden, Caden doesn't know how alcohol works. That was one of the most disgusted I've ever been with him, which is saying something. But uh, yeah, don't do that. Don't don't mix don't mix other types of alcohol together. That's not good in a lot of different ways because a lot of them have different storage conditions and will not react chemically well with one another. So just just don't. That's just disgusting to think about. Anyway, uh, before I do get into any of the fancy stuff, let's talk about what alcohol is actually mentioned throughout the various D&D books. So I'm going to go ahead and start in the player's handbook, where there are a lot of pages just for equipment, an entire chapter's worth, in fact. And one part of that is food, drink, and lodging. So in that, they actually do have a lot of just food and drink listed. What is kind of interesting in that particular list, though, it has a number of alcohol prices in that category. But what's strange to me about that, they don't actually list any kind of pricing for like drinking water or milk. It it only li- lists alcohol in the, the player's handbook. So they assume is, that strongly that no one will ask, like no one will ask for like a cup of milk. Like they only have alcohol prices in here. What the fuck? So on that note, uh, they have a gallon of ale for two silver, a mug of ale for a measly four copper. Uh, bu- bu- then they have a pitcher of common quality wine, also for two silver, or a bottle of fine wine for ten gold. And this is one of those sections that perfectly lines up way, way back in our gold episode. I mentioned that I believe that the math of how gold purchasing power is supposed to work in comparison to the real world is that a gold coin is the equivalent of a hundred US dollars. And this chart is just beautifully in alignment with that. If you have a gallon of ale for two silver, that would be 20 bucks. And for a gallon of beer, that checks out. And you've got a mug for four copper, which would be four dollars. You know, a mug of beer for four bucks that also checks out a pitcher of wine again 20 bucks it's actually relatively reasonably priced but then when you have a fine wine a bottle of fine wine for 10 gold that would come out to a thousand dollars so fine wine for a thousand dollars also checks out so it uh, this chart makes me happy okay so remy one thing i have a question for is why would a player want to spend large amounts of money on edibles and stuff like that So honestly, that just boils down to one of the draws of 
D&D in general, which is the fantasy aspect of the fantasy role playing, but not fantasy in terms of dragons, but just fantasy in I'm not able to do the shit that my characters do. So a lot of the time, an adventurer earns far more gold through the course of adventuring than the person who plays them has in the real world. I can't say that that is always the case, but way more often than not, that is true. So a lot of people want to be able to live a more extravagant lifestyle than they actually do. And through the role playing of Dungeons and Dragons, you're able to do so. So it is extraordinarily common for player characters to want to, you know, throw lavish parties, attend, you know, fancy events or just go to a pub and just buy everyone a beer or just, you know, plop a sack of gold and say, keep them coming. Like people want to just be that cool guy. And in real life, a lot of us aren't and myself very much included in that fact. But there is this perception in our world that, you know, being able to throw that kind of lavish party is a thing that makes you cool. So it is something that does come up a hey, lot Remy. in Dungeons and Dragons play. Yes. I mean, sure, you could throw the party. It's just that nobody would be there. <laughs> ouch. Accurate, but ouch. Also, especially now because we're mid-quarantine, so of course no one would come. And that's the excuse I'm sticking <laughs> to for anything that may or may not have happened Yeah, sure. Before. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, so even besides the normal listed ones there there are actually a couple of uh, actually a good amount more just scattered throughout the books uh in uh wild mount which i actually today found out is pronounced wild mount and not wildemount so that's a whoops on my part i never actually listened to critical role to hear that spoken out loud so oops anyway in wild mount there actually are a lot more fancy alcohols listed so the normal ones in the player's handbook could be said to just be the, you know, typical just stuff available in most places. But then they get to the fancy shit in Wildmount. So there are there's a sub. Ugh, what's that? Even? A sidebar. That's the word I could not remember. Uh, Wines of Phelan, which actually lists five super fancy wines. So you've got the Sylvia Groves Diamond Plum Wine for 60 gold a bottle. Fucking hell, these are expensive. The Oveso Family Dark Red for 35 gold a bottle. The Russell Calls Evening Dream Plum Wine for 40 gold a bottle. Oh, the Evening Soviet Dream, Road you say? Sunset White Wine for 30 gold a bottle. The Cuthras Silver Vineyard Premium Red Wine for 50 gold a bottle. So, ooh. So, you know it's if, premium again, it has well, thinking about premium the, 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 the math using my formula, though, that means that these fucking bottles are three thousand to six thousand dollars a bottle for fucking each of these, which is kind of insane to me. But considering that you know high magic fantasy, I can definitely see adventurers dropping that amount of gold on such things because they do and they would. Uh, the only other one that I'm aware of, at least, is uh, also in Wildmount. There's just a weird tiny notation in a bandit camp's treasure loot that there's apparently something in existence called bald dwarf whiskey, which is worth 25 gold and is an alcohol made by elves in Uthadern. So elves make an alcohol called bald dwarf whiskey. 
holy shit, that's racist. And just, <laughs> it's weird. This thing is only mentioned just in a sidebar in the treasure of a bandit camp, which is just fucking weird. So I am sure that there is some just little mentions of alcohols in existence just tucked away here and there. But there's just two more things that I really want to get to in the books before we go into the more implementation side of things. Nathan, have you ever heard of an item called the alchemy jug? Vaguely? Yeah. So because it is, you know, A for alchemy, it is one of the highest things just on the alphabetical list of magic items. So most people just come across the name and are vaguely aware of it and may know some of what it does. But it's actually a really, really neat uncommon, no attunement needed magic item that has a lot of cool effects, but a couple in particular that I'm going to focus on for the sake of here. And given that this is alcohol, I figure you can guess where this is going. So once a day, you're able to have this item produce some amount of liquid from it. And depending on what liquid you choose, it influences how much of it you're able to produce. So once a day, this item can produce four gallons of beer. Or one gallon of wine every single day. So this is basically the poor man's version of the flask in Riftwake. But because of the fact that this is more versatile in terms of being able to produce different things day to day, then there's definitely places for both of those items. But the fact of the alchemy jug's versatility is certainly a fun item to have in a D&D world just because of that versatility. Uh, also, just because it's fucking weird, it's not alcohol related at all, but I just have to mention this. Uh, it can also produce two gallons of mayonnaise every day, and that's disgusting and weird to me because I do not care for mayonnaise, but apparently it exists in D&D. Why? Mayonnaise in is excessive good. quantities. No one needs two gallons of, of mayonnaise a day. <laughs> no, no, everyone one. needs two gallons of mayonnaise. Everyone. Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I put mayonnaise on everything. I shower with it. Uh, I, I, I write right, with it. Right, fine. Then you can take advantage of that. Just give me like the gallon of wine then. Or the gallon of honey would also be useful from that. <sighs> yeah, two gallons of mayonnaise. Just what the fuck? Anyway, I, yeah, that's... It just honestly disturbs me. Just I'm kind of grossed out by that. Uh, would would anyway, ranch I, dressing be better? No, no, it would not. Like if they just deleted that and had one less thing on the list, I would honestly be happier. But anyway, that is already a tangent and there's still more to go over. So moving past the good old alchemy jug, there actually is a monster from the Acquisitions Incorporated book. So definitely a bit more obscure, but kind of hilarious. And I have to mention here the keg robot. So this is a construct that is quite literally a barrel with arms and legs and a horned head. And uh, yeah, this is just a ridiculous thing to exist. But also, oh, where was it? There is a very specific detail about it. Ah, here we go. In the description. This beer is delicious, but did the spigot really have to be placed in that spot? The spigot is its penis. It's amazing. <laughs> like, this is such a ridiculous thing to exist, so I just cannot believe that this has not come up just more often in D&D, even though a lot of people, true, don't have the Acquisitions Incorporated book or are just not as familiar with it. That is just an amazing thing to exist. That is absolutely hilarious. And it's actually pretty neat 
in terms of abilities because it mentions that it has three compartments that it can basically expel from during combat. So if you actually get into a fight with a keg robot, which boy, is that a sentence right there. So it mentions even that it has three sections within it that it holds acid, beer and hot oil. Just they built this thing for combat, which is honestly a little bit weird. But I just want to see more in in D&D in a high magic world. Like if you have that like floating magical city kind of trope, just like have there be, you know, keg robots just walking around just to like be like the traveling salesman. Just could you imagine just the player's reaction if they go into this like highly talked up magical city, magic everywhere. And then just one of the first things they come across is a magical keg robot that just walks up to the party and just fills a mug from its penis spigot. Just why is this not more common? This thing is amazing. <laughs> anyway, I just had to bring that to the world's attention a little bit more. Uh, there is just one more magic item, and this will be the last in-book stuff that we'll talk about before we go into the implementation angle. So this is uh, one last thing also from the Guide to Wild Mount, which is the Amulet of the Drunkard, uncommon magic item. While wearing it, you can regain 4d4 hit points when you drink a pint of beer, ale, mead, or wine. Once the amulet has restored hit points, can't do so again until the next dawn. So a once a day heal with 4d4 plus 4, which is the step up from the common healing potion. And that's amazing. It is an uncommon item, no attunement required, but just once a day, you just pound down a pint of beer, ale, mead, or wine, and you just get 44 plus 4? That is incredible. Uh, also, I'm just curious, Nathan, do you see the uh, potential kind of cheaty angle with this item? Not really. How? Oh. Okay. Once the amulet has restored hit points, it can't do so until the next dawn. What is one of the high-level issues in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons in regards to magic items? What, what, what was it? Sorry, I, I don't know. No worries. So the angle I'm going with this. So again, uh, I'm running a level 20 game now. So this is just something that I think about a lot more. When you get to high level D&D in fifth edition, it gets to a point where your players have three attuned magic items and they really just run out of things to spend their gold on. So there is very little rules about how to actually use large amounts of gold at high levels or honestly even into medium levels it could potentially become a problem because only being able to attune two three items can rapidly like fill up on a character even at medium levels just depending on the magic level in the world but this is a non-attune magic item so an amulet cannot restore more hit points there is nothing that says that a wealthy enough person can't have 10 of them so if you just had 10 of these things on a character and well a very large amount of alcohol which you'd get if you just had a single alchemy jug so you get that kind of cooperation going then uh yeah so that would then be 40 d4 plus 40 throughout an adventuring day potentially so even if you don't have time for short rest to spend hit dice or if your party's resources aren't accessible for whatever reason this item just as phrased can really really be convenient slash broken so that leads us to the implementation angle of things though doing what i just suggested would require drinking 10 pints of alcohol so what is not in any of the D, &D books 
is how the hell do you deal with that? So uh, to throw to you once again, Nathan, what are some of the <laughs> yes? So what are some of the ways to rule alcohol use in the game? Well, so in Riftwake, there was one <laughs> one episode which is quite memorable where Gorif um, gets alcohol poisoning and eventually it's implied that he gets fisted by uh, Father Canterbury, but it's not exactly explained why. But anyways, uh, so essentially when it comes down to it, there can be consequences for drinking too much alcohol. And really, it comes down to the discretion of your dungeon master. However, one good way to deal with it is typically when the player drinks in, to an excess um, amount of alcohol, what you can do is just roll, make them roll a constitution and make it so that if they um, fail in the constitution check or saving throw or whatever that may be, um, the next day, maybe they don't feel so good. You could apply a disadvantage or you could go and use that as an opportunity to go and play out one of, uh, one of many scenarios that you have planned for such a situation where um, you try and place them in an odd situation that now they must figure out in this sort of rowdy state. Indeed. So, as you said, having it be a constitution saving throw is definitely what I would agree to be the way to go. Also, one detail just from, as we talked about in dwarves a couple of weeks ago, dwarves have advantage on saving throws against poison. And it does seem to be heavily implied that that is based around the whole dwarves and alcohol thing. So treating alcohol as a poison in terms of mechanics would actually be a pretty good way to go about it because the poison condition gives the creature disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks, all of them. And that honestly checks out because if you are inebriated, then that sure sounds a whole lot like what effect alcohol has on you. You know, maybe you'll still get lucky and succeed on whatever you're trying, but you are not, you know, fully in your right mind at the time. So to treat a character who is drunk as having the poison condition is what I would say would be the best way mechanically to go about it. So in terms of when to do so, that is a little bit more fuzzy. So at what point do you have any character role to see if they do acquired, you know, poison parentheses, drunk condition. So that is where it really is complicated. So given that there is so much variation in terms of human just use of alcohol in terms of how much alcohol is required to get somebody drunk, I would say to just look at the constitution ability modifier for characters. So a character who has, you know, a 14 constitution, in theory, ought to be able to hold their alcohol a lot better than a character that has 10 constitution. So if you figure someone has 10 constitution is likely to be more of a lightweight, then given that someone with an ability score of 10 would have a modifier of zero, I would then say if they have a drink, then you can have them do a roll. And the DC of such we'll get into in a moment. But again, going back to the other character then that would have a constitution score of 14, which would give them a modifier of two, I would then say after two drinks, so when they have a third, that that is where, again, so whatever their con modifier is, plus one is the point where I would say is when you should have them roll. 
So if you do have just a really high con character, then you don't need to ask them to start making rolls right away because it is assumed that they are fairly resilient and it would take a couple of drinks for them to even start getting to that point. Then uh, moving on to the DC. Alcohol potency is complicated because there is the percentage of alcohol content in a beverage, then there is also just the quantity that you drink, as well as just the contents of your stomach at the time that you drink it. So how the hell do you balance all of those things? Oh, <laughs> so Nathan, just what would you cobble together for something like that? Hmm. I think in um, what what I wouldn't do is most likely. I I don't know because. The... All right. So let's think about this then. Given the fact that a creature is by the rule I mentioned earlier only going to roll after they've had a certain amount past their constitution score. And if you're, again, using constitution for the saving throw itself, then it gives creatures with a higher constitution an edge. So I would say using a flat DC would make sense because it would then mean that someone who is lower in constitution is more likely to fail the saving throw on an earlier attempt. And someone who is a higher might have more. So I would just say that it would just be escalating that the first time they roll the saving throw, it could just be something like a DC of 10. So it is a flat 50-50 chance that after one drink, someone with a 10 constitution may or may not be drunk from one drink, which I think checks out pretty well with the real world. And then you can just have it be an ascending difficulty check given more and more drinks. So I would say either you can just say that after that constitution limit of, you know, con mod plus one, either depending on just how you as a DM want the world to work, how you want the game to be run. So as, as a quick tangent, some people, and this is players and dungeon masters alike, really like doing more roles. And some of them just want you do a thing and then reaction happens. So if you want it to be more rolls, you can just have it be, okay, every additional drink you pass that point just adds two to the DC, and then every drink you're just rolling again. Or you could just roll, or not roll, but just declare that, okay, you roll the difficulty check, and that's the point at which you may or may not be sober anymore. But if you drink anymore after that fact, you just are drunk and just get that disadvantage on everything with that poison condition. And honestly, the latter is probably how I myself would decide to rule this because having a drink to decide if you're drunk or not yet makes sense. But then once you do pass that line and keep drinking, the character will be drunk. So yeah, I could just have it be rolls to decide if they are. But honestly, like that's just not how alcohol works. And if you know, ah, yes, this is the point at which I get drunk, then that's the point at which they get drunk. So have just a roll. And then if they drink any more after that, they are drunk. That would honestly be just the simplest way to go about things. There is a singular roll at that point of con mod plus one to see if they're already drunk yet. And it's simple. It's relatively smooth. And by using the existing poison condition, it makes it kind of easy to work mechanically speaking in terms of what effect it has on them. So just for funsies, let's also then lead to the aftermath of hangover, because 
I, I honestly can't really tell you why, but for some reason, a lot of player characters just want there to be mechanical effects to a hangover for their characters. Like they want to have <laughs> the full experience of, you know, raucous partying. Well, so Remy, I, I've just got a question. Can, can you please describe how a hangover feels? Because I've never drunk enough to actually experience one. <laughs> Um, honestly, I myself cannot give the best description of it because A, I am not a partier, as we did discuss a bit earlier, but also just the fact that I am <laughs> like almost pure blood Russian heritage. So not yes, exactly. Russian. So I basically have that same dwarven saving throws against poisoned as, uh, you know, Russian human. <laughs> with variant. advantage. With double advantage. <laughs> uh, Immune. Immunity. What? Oh, no, that'd be sad. Uh, actually, sorry. <laughs> quick tangent on a tangent. Did you know that it is actually canonical in the Marvel movies that Captain America cannot get drunk and he was sad about that fact? Oh, that's actually pretty yeah, nice. Yeah, they actually touch on that at one point, just that he cannot get drunk anymore as a result of the super soldier serum. And he's like, man, I can't even enjoy a beer anymore. <laughs> like, it's just kind of interesting to me that like that was an interesting detail for them to include in that. Anyway, that is total tangent. Um, back to D&D. So uh, hangover is a result of just dehydration for the most part. So when you do drink uh, enough alcohol, it basically messes up your body's just balance of moisture, for lack of a better phrase. So because of the fact that your body is trying to flush out the alcohol, which your body does actually see as a poison, which is one reason why I did choose to go that angle, that your body will dehydrate itself to produce urine to try to flush the alcohol out of your body. And then that dehydration will cause, you know, dry mouth, headache, just all of the classic effects of hangover are pretty much just dehydration, which is part of why the common knowledge of how to prevent a hangover in the first place is to just drink water. Just as you're drinking alcohol through the night, you're supposed to go back and forth of for every, uh, every just, oh, what's the word used? Not shot, but every just unit of alcohol you consume, whether that's like a cup of beer or a shot of spirits, that you are supposed to balance that by consuming a cup of water through the night to maintain your body's hydration and ability to process that alcohol. And that if you do keep yourself hydrated, the chances of a hangover are massively, massively reduced. But, uh, sorry, that's just uh, real-world alcohol safety, but going to the D&D angle of things. So if you do decide that your player characters are or are not following, you know, that kind of basic advice for, uh, you know, safety while you're drinking, then I would actually look at maintaining that poison condition because it is actually possible to wake up still drunk if your body is not able to uh, flush it out in that time. Um, so maintaining the poison condition is one way that you could certainly go with that. But I would actually say exhaustion would be the next way to think about how bad your character feels in the morning. Uh, so a quick refresher on exhaustion. There are six levels of exhaustion that escalate in severity of how bad the effect is, as well as having the effect of the one before. So if you have like level five exhaustion, then you have the effects of levels one, two, three, four, and five. So level one is disadvantage on ability checks. 
Level 2, your speed is halved. Level 3, disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws. 4, your hit point maximum is halved. 5, your speed is reduced to 0. 6, death. Because it is possible to have alcohol poisoning and die from it. So all of those six effects listed are actual, unfortunate potential effects of alcohol on a human body. So I would say that is perfect in how to go. So I would just say something along the lines of they have to roll a constitution saving throw in the morning and that the DC of said throw is, uh, hmm, how would I even say that? Something along the lines of a constitution saving throw with a difficulty check of 10 plus 2 for every drink that you had during the night without water to balance it out. So then if you had 10 drinks and no water, then that would be a DC 30 because that's massively fucking dangerous to drink that amount with no water. So if you had that, then DC 30 and then let's say they rolled a 20, then that would leave a 10 shy of that difficulty. So what would even be a good way to do that? I would say for each five that they fail the DC, that they get one level of exhaustion. So then that would mean then that if someone wakes up and they just roll a 10 con saving throw after 10 drinks with no water, then they're short 20, and that would give them four levels of exhaustion, which would give them, again, disadvantage on ability checks, uh, attack rolls, saving throws, their speed is halved, their hit point maximum is halved. Honestly, that kind of checks out on how alcohol makes you feel. So yeah, I think that actually balances out pretty nicely mechanically. It's a bit more complicated than I prefer, but I think that that works. And then that would also mean then that if a character is dumb enough to drink 20 alcoholic beverages with no water, somehow, just by a sheer liquid perspective, that's a bit much. But then, okay, so 20 drinks. So that would mean a DC of 10 plus two per drink. So DC of 50. So that is a quantity of alcohol that'll probably kill you, and people shouldn't do that. So yeah, honestly, I think that kind of works. So uh, there are a lot of desires for player characters to experience alcohol throughout the game of Dungeons & Dragons, and hopefully some of the suggestions that we've thrown out can help you implement its use uh, hopefully a little bit more safely in the world to get characters to realize that Yes, alcohol in moderation can be a fun experience, but there can and honestly should be danger in drinking to excess. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars lowers a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.